0: This is Anthony Pascal.
1: And this is Laurie Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek Podcast. This week, we have a terrific interview with Mark Altman. We talk about his podcast, Inglourious experts We talk about the documentary he'll be working on, To Boldly Go. We talked about, oh my God, working with Jonathan Frakes. We talked about him writing, about. we talked about a lot of things. You'll hear it. It'll be great. <laughs>
0: Nice preview. Excellent.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was like, why am I describing what they're going to hear? They're going to hear it. So you'll hear but now, it. But
0: now, now everyone's excited to hear it. Is It's, it's yeah. important.
1: Yes. I've, I've revved everybody up. So uh, let's do some news first and we're going to start with something very sad. Kenneth Mitchell, the Star Trek Discovery actor, has died of ALS. Uh, he's been sick for the last few years. It's such a loss for Star Trek fans because he really... I think was an extraordinary person who really brought a huge sense of community and love and family to the Star Trek community.
0: And it happened so fast. You know, he was playing this Klingon in the first season of Discovery and then by season 3 of Discovery he was in a mobility chair and his last convention appearance he couldn't even speak anymore. I mean, it it's just a terrible disease. You know, I had a chance to speak to him early on, and then I kept in touch with him a bit through texting, you know, as it went on, even after he lost his ability, he always kept up his optimism, his enthusiasm. He was so excited to be on Lower Decks. I remember when that happened and he was really excited that they named a ship after him in season yeah. four. He was a great guy. Yeah, it's just, um, it's terrible
1: he inspired the people making Star Trek to want to keep working with him, even when it became difficult. So they wrote roles that suited him or he'll just do voice work. So he just, you know, I know on the Star Trek cruise, they had, you know, that they were all there when they found out and they had this big rave in his honor. Cause he'd been at a rave there and they did a Klingon howl for him. And it's just, it's, the guy has a beautiful family. It's it's a heartbreaking loss. Such a, a beacon of hope, I think, Ken Mitchell. I, worked, I met him and worked with him very early on in the first season of Discovery because he was on After Trek, and he and I grew up in neighborhoods not that far from each other in Toronto. So we yeah. bonded over the Canadian thing. There is a GoFundMe set up for his family. They obviously have a lot of medical expenses to cover, so we'll have a link to that if you can afford to contribute. It would be lovely if you could.
0: I was surprised by the outpouring from the Trek community. I mean, Trek community is always great, but people I didn't know that knew him. I mean, Shatner got in and Jerry Ryan, people who had no connection to Discovery. I think they met him at conventions and stuff like that. And he just had a big impact on the community, I think.
1: Yeah, I think on everyone he met and also people he worked with from outside the Star Trek world. I saw Elizabeth Banks posted a big tribute to him on her Instagram. So he did a lot of TV, he did a lot of work and and everybody remembered him.
0: And he he was in a Marvel movie. There you go. So um I've got a little bit of a business update, exciting news everyone. <laughs> For everyone worried that Warner Brothers Discovery was going to take over Paramount, don't worry those talks have officially ended. So Shoot. that's not going to happen.
1: I for one uh, <laughs> am happy to hear that.
0: There's no real news on who is going to buy Star Trek uh, or not buy Star Trek by oh, uh, by
1: Star Trek. Well,
0: you you get it's part of the deal, you know. Okay. Buy the company get some Star Trek. Paramount did their quarterly results. These are often an opportunity to announce things. In fact, they did announce a new NCIS show. They announced a bunch of movies, uh, like, you know, Naked Gun, another Naked Gun movie. Exciting. Um, I'm excited, actually. Uh, So um, but uh, so there was no real Star Trek news. The CEO mentioned Star Trek like once when he was just kind of rattling off everything coming up next quarter. He mentioned Discovery, but we didn't get any details on other shows coming. So there's no big news for Star Trek, except that it does seem like they're more open to licensing stuff. And another thing I'm reading between the lines is they're pulling back internationally on spending, so they need the stuff that they make for Paramount Plus to work globally. Hmm. And that's now more important to them because using their domestic products around the world, and as we know, Star Trek does appeal in certain markets well, but in many other markets it doesn't. So right. Interesting.
1: You know. But Star Trek Discovery, which is coming here soon it turns out it's also going to be coming to sky showtime in europe and which will include all seasons of discovery
0: right so we talked about sky showtime last week i said they don't have everything well now they're they are getting discovery which is good news because like season four of discovery for half the people in europe have never seen it because it, they pulled it off netflix before season four Right. So that's coming in March, seasons one through three as well, and then season five on, on April 5th. Because so, Europe is divided. Half, half of Europe is Paramount Plus, half of Europe is Sky Showtime, this joint venture with Comcast, which may be the new thing. Like, maybe they're going right. to do Sky Showtime everywhere. You know, the CEO of this joint venture recently was talking up. He's like, if you're a Star Trek fan, you want to be with Sky Showtime. So he appreciates the Star Trek. And they have all the old shows. Right. So that's it for business news this week. Uh but there's still more discovery news, actually. We this was a bit of a surprise. We got a trailer.
1: Yeah, we did with new stuff that we hadn't seen.
0: They tied it to this thing called IGN Fan Fest, which Sure. You know, <laughs> there 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 were other things released. I mean, you know, IGN's a big company and so they they did it with that. There we go.
1: So what'd you think of the trailer?
0: Well, it it certainly conveys the the kind of what they're t- going for this season, a lot of action, more action, fun, that kind of stuff. Um, but I was surprised there wasn't more, cause I thought there'd be more humor to it. There wasn't a lot of humor to it. No, because they talk about it being fun and light. So I'm curious about how, you know, um, you know, are they going to go for it? Cause what they really went for this is more heartstringy. It starts on this theme of family. It ends on a theme of family so they seem to really be digging into that, you know, th- that it's the last season.
1: That's what they're leaning on a lot. But I also think they d- have talked about it being fun. I don't know if the word light was used a lot. <laughs> that's a good, I mean, maybe. I'm... I don't think that that show has ever been light. That's true. Yeah. So that's not really part of its DNA. But um, we did a full, well, we, I say we, but when I say we, I mean you, did a great detailed breakdown of the trailer, which you guys can look at on the site. But there are a few things, I think, that popped in there that are worth talking about. One of them is, it certainly looks like, you know, Saru and and Tarina are doing well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <normal>.
0: I mean, <laughs> it, it's been <laughs> telegraphed by Doug himself. There's romance, Vulcan romance, or Navarian. Is it a Navarian? How do you describe someone from Navar?
1: I guess they're a Navarian. They should go back to Vulcanian.
0: i love i I like vulcanians um so yeah there's definitely that uh you know but i mean there was yeah there was hugs and cute moment there's you know michael and book and there's book with no shirt just saying i didn't notice that um i
1: I did a little freeze framing
0: (laughs) there's tilly hugging michael and a, a nice moment with reno and adira so they're really emphasizing this family together um but there was a lot of plot stuff in in the trailer too because we know that the season is about this big mystery and about this puzzle box is like a, a major part of the trailer which we've seen before when you look at the puzzle box it's it just seems to me like they're saying this is literally a mystery box <laughs> like you know, here it is. It's a, <laughs> it is. A, it's a box. And um, but they do show them opening the box in the trailer. Right. So, so that would
1: not be in the last episode.
0: Well, that's a question. Mark because I think the knock on the show is that they do these mystery box things and then they drag it out.
1: Right. Which is why it seems like it wouldn't. Anyway, I don't know. We'll yeah, find out, I, I guess.
0: I guess. But you could tell like you could tell that there's lots of different locations. You know, there's yeah. like a jungle planet. There's a desert planet. There's at least two different shots where they're shooting at the quarry once at night, once during the day <laughs> to make it look like two different planets. It does seem like they're getting off the ship and they're getting out there and they're doing stuff. And I am 100% for that. And, you know, a lot of people are taking notice of – there's a there's a scene where the bad guys, Maul and Locke, um, are in a shootout with Michael and Book in what is – pretty clearly uh a redress of a USS enterprise set from strange new worlds um the sick base set um but when you look at the screens you see the symbol for the terran empire which right kind, kind of doesn't make any sense
1: right given that we know that the mirror universe and the i don't know regular universe um <laughs> <laughs> The, I believe prime. they call it the
0: Prime Universe. The prime
1: Universe. I'm going to call it the Regular Universe. See if that <laughs> catches on. Okay. Um, have drifted so far apart. They made a big point of this that they're too far apart now.
0: Well, the Terran Empire. I mean, we saw Deep Space Nine. We saw Intendant Kira and all that stuff and Smiley. The Terran Empire. Spock successfully, right? You know, it 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 went away. It it doesn't exist by the 24th century. And this is eight centuries later, so there's two possibilities. One is they do what kind of what Giorgio did, which is they do some they hop universes and they go back in time and
1: time travel at the same time.
0: Or somehow there's a Terran Empire ship, maybe. My favorite speculation on this is it's the ISS Enterprise, which somehow ends up in the Prime Universe and has been sitting somewhere for 800 years or oh. nine 900 years. And it, inside, this is my favorite crazy theory, inside the stasis chamber, you know, the one that uh, Mabenga likes to use to keep his daughter for some reason.
1: Well, she's not in there anymore. But, uh. <laughs>
0: well, But she used to be in there, is a certain... Former captain Prime Lorca. Huh.
1: Interesting.
0: I mean, that is just a crazy theory. But
1: I know I would be so thrilled <laughs> if he turned up though. And that is a way to do it.
0: It could be, for example, that, you know, because they've got this puzzle box, they've you know, they they're searching for clues. They're like, okay, the only way we could open the puzzle box is we need this thing that's on the, the right the USS <laughs> Enterprise. And they're like, well, the US Enterprise was destroyed. And they're like, well, what about the Mirror Universe Enterprise? And they're like, okay, well, I guess we're going to the Mirror Universe 900 years ago because it's the only way we could get the doohickey to open up the thingamabob. Right. Because right? I think that's the season is going to be a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, getting
1: the doohickey to open the thingamabob and then Which you got the, the next thing. And then you got to go get that thing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Which is fine. The thing I was intrigued of is there was one, literally one frame where it zooms in on something that looks like Zora, but isn't Zora on that other, on the enterprise. So I'm, you know, so who knows what's going on there? Like, is that mirror Zora? You know, who knows?
1: Mirror Zora. I like that you're (laughs) zooming in on that and I'm zooming in on book without a shirt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it could have just be like an automatic, phaser defense system you know well um, they
1: put it in there for a reason so who knows it did get me uh excited about the new season that's for sure for sure i can't believe how long it's been since the last one too it just it feels like a very long time like i have to get back into disco mode
0: yeah you almost have to decompress from picard and strange new worlds which are very different shows different tones different styles
1: and lower decks and prodigy (laughs) (laughs) Really, Like even, you know, animated versus live action, but still like everything has its own kind of feel. And so you got to like, you know, adjust a little bit, but I'm really looking forward to seeing those characters again.
0: I think even though the show is highly serialized and they're essentially starting over again in season five with a new story and all that, it probably wouldn't hurt to, you know, just rewatch the season four finale just to kind of get your brain back in these characters again and the style of the show and all that, just to kind of
1: catch yourself
0: up. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be an extended, you know, last season on Star Trek Discovery.
1: But that's always pretty quick. I think it's, I think what you're talking about is more like the feel and the mood and the vibe of the show, which is why you'd need to watch an episode versus it's not about catching up on the details as much as just getting back into the, the rhythm of the show.
0: But it also, I mean, there is, gonna be some business because in the trailer book is there and tilly is there and there are things that happen in that season finale with those characters that doesn't hurt to remind yourself and kovic and you know the all of these have we seen vance in the trailers where's my boy vance he's coming back i hope right
1: yeah i hope so i didn't see him in the trailer
0: he was in another trailer and the and the president is still around i think
1: yes i think we've seen her
0: because this is actually the second trailer yeah, you know, and there's some fun speculation in the comments. Someone speculated that the person opening the puzzle box is a an android.
1: Oh, yeah, I had very androidy hands. But
0: it's like a desert planet. There's like sand. It, you know, so it could be the lighting. It's hard to tell. But um, there was a self sealing stem bolt next <laughs> to the puzzle box, so I think that's just there as a joke, right? But it's nice. Uh,
1: the discovery doesn't always do that, so. Well, that that's a, you know that. That's I think, the right way to do it. By the way,
0: I mean I know it's just one little thing, but maybe Discovery is finally figuring it out. Yeah. Don't pretend other Star Trek doesn't. You know, but like, just have a little fun with it.
1: Yeah. You know? Agreed.
0: Who knows? Maybe I'm reading too much into it.
1: You're reading a lot into that self-stealing stem, but no, I feel the same way. So
0: it's good. Of course, because it's a Discovery thing. There's just there's people shooting at each other. There's crazies spaceship action there's this shot of the discovery like in between two black holes which doesn't seem to be a good idea no i don't even know how that would work um but there's a science consultant i'm sure someone someone at least said this is what life would be like when you're that close to two black holes
1: (laughs) (laughs) but it wouldn't be fun yeah it's nice to see the whole gang back that's for sure i have missed them
0: april 4th five five weeks away um it premieres at south by southwest in just a couple weeks yeah uh, or i guess that's going to be three weeks away joe is going to that we're already lining up red carpet stuff for that so uh, we'll have a lot of coverage for discovery in march as we get closer to the event
1: yeah all right and there's also um martin green and Tony Newsom showed up in this video what's the background of this video tony because i don't know much about it
0: there's two things. One is that it's Black History Month, or when you get this podcast, it won't be anymore, I don't think. But it was released for Black History Month, but it's some new web series, Stargaze. And this is their first episode, and it's going to – they describe it as conversations between unrepresented stars on screen who bring diverse characters to life. Um, and the first episode is Tawny Newsom and Sonequa Martin-Green – just sitting down and talking.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think it's worth a watch. It was, some, it was nice watching the two of them talk and, and bond a little bit and talk about their different experiences.
0: There's some Star Trek talk about it. What was interesting is hearing um, Sinequa talk about the weight when she took the role initially and how she felt, you know, Nichelle Nichols' legacy and how she had to be perfect so that she does the legacy right and she does everything right for the black community and for women and it does seem overwhelming you know and she says now she's kind of cool with it you know? but it took her a little while
1: no and they both talked about that like the pressure to be everything or be a specific thing versus just being this character who they are it was a very very interesting conversation and i have to say i thought it was a uh, filmed beautifully they both look fantastic
0: And Tawny does talk a little bit about how she's applying these lessons in this history in the Writers' Room of Academy. So I guess that's it. I mean, there's one other fun thing. There's not really news, but the Star Trek Prodigy team shared on social media. Aaron Watke kind of led this effort. This week, they had their wrap party. I mean, they wrapped in December, but I guess because that was close to the holiday period, they delayed the wrap party. Season two wrap
1: party. It looked really fun. Look, like they had bartenders in Star Trek outfits, and just a bunch of really great, happy, excited people having crazy drinks and uh, cookies in a good time.
0: Yeah, it's it, there's this place called Scum and Villainy here in L.A. It's a Star Wars sci-fi themed bar. There's a Star Trek room, and when you went in there in the party, you could if you look at these wind their windows, but they're actually TV screens. You could see the proto star so they really it was uh i i wish i was there
1: me too i loved it and i was oh i was so jealous looked so fun
0: as he was posting all these things watki reminded fans that you know even though they've wrapped on season two and it you know there's still a chance um that there will be a season three that it's just it's like any other show if it does well Netflix will get another season and that's that.
1: I do think it's bringing them a new audience. I think Netflix might be a good place for that show. Yeah. You know, I do think people are tuning in and I've seen, I mean, look, this is just anecdotal, but I've seen people on social saying, I, this is, I finally watched prodigy cause it's on Netflix and I loved it. And then I went and rewatched it. So I think it is getting new eyeballs. I can't wait for season two. And I hope we find out about it in advance and not here's all the episodes tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I'm still betting May. I don't know why I've I've said that, but I still think May is the time.
1: All right. Well, I'm gonna hope for later May, because I'm away for the first week of May and I don't want to miss it.
0: So last week we we said that Star Trek the Cruise was about to launch. It it it, it did launch. It's now back. And you should just check out our coverage. I, I know I'm like pimping the website, but it's um Aaron, Aaron Bossig, who's one of our contributors, went on the cruise. He did these daily cruise updates that are a lot of fun. What's different about the cruise is that it's different than a convention because the celebrities are on the boat, too, you know, and they're drinking in the bars and they're gambling and they're it-
1: dancing and doing karaoke. And they're do look, they're very and they're doing teaching things they know how to do. It's a very different experience. And I think Aaron did a great job of capturing what it's like being on that cruise and and getting to see all those things and do those things. And they they do game shows and improv and, you know, stuff that you just don't get to see otherwise.
0: But there were normal yeah. convention-y things. There were panels and we did cover that of, you know, what uh, uh, Connor Tenere, uh saying, get over Tripp's death and Ed Spiliers just really pushing for legacy um, and all that kind of stuff so
1: so go check it out there's lots lots of good fun detail in there and pictures and things like that but let's get to our interview i want you guys to hear uh, everything that we talked to mark altman about it was a really fascinating conversation
0: well i'd like to welcome my friend and the co-host of the inglorious Trexperts, mark altman welcome back mark
2: Thank you, guys. It's good to be back here on the Trek Movie Shuttle. What shuttle pod? What do you, what do you call this podcast?
0: <laughs> the, the, we have two podcasts. Brian and those guys do Shuttle Pod. Lori and I do the All Access Star Trek podcast.
2: That's um, right. We...
1: All Access. That's yes. right. That's
2: okay. Well, I'm happy to be back.
1: Yeah, let's talk <laughs> about your podcast because we both just listened to the 300th episode of Inglorious Trexports today.
2: Isn't that crazy? 300 episodes. I, you know, I didn't even realize it. And we, one of the one of our listeners said, Oh, you know, you must be planning something really special for your 300th episode. And I'm like, 300th episode? I'm like, Really? And I looked and I'm like, Oh, yeah, look, we're like 297 or whatever. I'm like, That's crazy. I guess we should do something.
0: Did you immediately jump on to Star Trek 3 as the thing to do?
2: Yeah, I kind of knew that that would be the thing because that's been a, a, a um, an issue uh, with uh, P- one of the more polarizing things that we've covered over the, the first 299 episodes. And, um, you know, we'd been, I've been talking to uh, you know, Terry and Steve and Kevin about doing something on Star Trek three because they, they so adamantly disagree with our take on it. So it, it seemed like the perfect way to, to, for, you know, 300, Star Trek three It's the 40th anniversary, all, all this stuff. So it wor- it worked out great.
1: You wrangled some pretty impressive guests. How did you get all those guys? What was the sell? Well,
2: I mean, you know, the thing about our podcast is obviously it's really big in the industry. A lot of a lot of people who are, you know, writers and producers and story you know, and and and, and studio execs that listen to it because, you know, we kind of put the show in context of the business side of things. And so, um, you know, we've just been really lucky. Obviously, you know, we we've cultivated a great relationship with Terry since Picard season three premiered. Um, Steve Asbell was a a, a, a listener uh, uh, to to the show and a, a big fan. We had him on; he was great. Uh, uh, so we've had him on a couple of times now, and then uh, you know, it had recently come to our attention. I, I knew I used to know Kevin fairly well, and Terry Terry's very good friends with him, and. Steve obviously works with, closely with him because Fox and Marvel are both Disney companies. So uh, Ke- Kevin had some strong opinions about some of the stuff we've been saying on the show as a fan of the show and wanted to come on and uh, debate it. So uh, it seemed like uh, it, it would be a no-brainer to to, uh, to have everybody come and talk Star Trek Three, And then, you know, as you know from listening to it, uh, you know, Kevin's like, oh, I want to come on and talk about Star Trek V next. And it's like, okay, well we can we can do that because it's also celebrating an anniversary, the 35th anniversary, uh, uh this year. So uh we'll probably do that. I, I don't think we'll wait for the four hundredth, but uh we'll do that sometime this year.
1: Yeah, I was intrigued by the idea of in defense of Star Trek Five. <laughs> yeah,
2: we've done we've done that before but it'll be interesting to get some other perspectives. I mean, I think we did a, and it was a very successful episode called Oh Brother, um, which was our, um, the ultimate tracks for Star Trek five commentary where, we, you know, we, 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 we really are very uh, passionate defenders of that movie to, to an extent. And um, so I, I'm happy to revisit that particularly for, because there's so many anniversaries this year, as you know, 40th for Star Trek three, it's uh, uh 35th for Star Trek five. It's the 30th for generations. And then it's the, uh, what, 45th for um, Star Trek The Motion Picture. So a lot, lot of anniversaries.
0: Do, do you, I mean, because you were talking about defending Star Trek V, and obviously th- there's a reason that you have to frame it that way, but for Star Trek three, do you feel like it's a film that requires defending?
2: Well, we weren't defending it because we're not huge fans and we think it's a mess, but um, <laughs> the three, I guess, are, are um, huge fans of that film. And it's it's interesting because, one of the things I didn't quite lock onto when we were having the conversation, it was only in retrospect, was um, them being of a certain age, there is a lot of nostalgia in terms of their look at Star Trek Three. that you know, that I think all of them uh, mentioned it was one of their first movies they saw, one of their first Star Trek movies they saw at theater. So you know, it's kind of like when I hear from people say, oh, my favorite Bond movie is A View to a Kill. And I when I pick myself up off the floor at, at the stupidity of it, I uh, I then realized, oh, maybe that was – usually it's like, oh, that's the first one I saw in a theater, they say. Or, um, you know, that I used to watch it with my dad or my mom or whatever. So sometimes nostalgia enters, and I think it's Star Trek three I think nostalgia colors a lot of people's uh, feelings about Star Trek three because – and also the fact that there are some virtuoso scenes, so like stealing the Enterprise or the great score that it has or the fact that it uses the ensemble better than virtually any of the other uh, pictures, I think color people's impressions and they overlook a lot that's, you know, goofy or, um you know, bad about the film, including the script and a lot of the direction.
0: What's interesting is, and I think what made your podcast great was, I kind of agreed with everyone. I agree yeah. with you. I agree <laughs> with Darren. I agree with Kevin. It's like, because I have, you know, I think when, when I was a kid, I... Liked the movie, liked two better, but I, I I enjoyed it, you know, but as an adult, when I look at it, I'm, I, I could see the flaws, but I still love it's got, it's, you know, it's in a weird way. It's like less than the, you know, than its parts, um, but it's got great parts as you guys talked about. So, but, you know, I, I agree with every praise and every criticism.
1: Yeah. That was the surprising thing to me listening to it too. I'm so ready to defend it because it's one that I really enjoy, but I couldn't disagree with any of the critiques.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the thing, you know, at its heart, our our show, we try in 99% of the time, I think we succeed on celebrating the love. It's about what we we generally try to emphasize what we love about Star Trek. So even when we're um, being critical of something, look, it's not a movie that we would argue that we hate, you know, it's just a movie we think is is terribly flawed so even when we're criticizing we do it with a little wink you know it, it's not as though you know we're going to go and say oh this is abysmal because it's not and 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 uh, a- any chance to see that cast on screen is always welcome some more times than others but at the same time and it's like even when we did the star trek 6 debate between because Darren Doctorman really hates star trek 6 and he debated Steve Asbell, who really loves Star Trek VI. Ashley and I were sort of the impartial mediators. I felt sort of like you did. I like Star Trek VI quite a bit. And yet when Darren would make his case for why he didn't feel it worked, I would often find myself agreeing. So, I mean, I think that's the fun. Because what we're really trying to go back to is a time when people who are passionate about movies and television could argue and still, um, uh, you know, talk at the end and and and, 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 and still be friends. And not this kind of thing that the internet has uh, created, where it is such vitriol, and it's like, oh, if you don't agree with me, then you're my enemy, and you're an idiot, or you know, whatever. And it's like, no, if, if people are willing to, you know, state their thing in, in a scholarly way, in a critical way, in a fun way, then you know, it doesn't matter. That's what, what why we we love this stuff. You know, that was always part of the fun was debating. Oh, what's your favorite episode? It's like. Oh my God! You love Sparks Brand? How do you love, it? or you know, you know the 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 Omega Glory is your favorite episode, What? <laughs> you know, so it's like, but that's part of the fun of being a Stranger fan. And unfortunately, in the last few years, it's really become, you know, people um, really take uh, take sides and 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 then really have no tolerance for other people's opinions. It's like, you know, I don't have a problem if somebody doesn't like a show or a movie that I like, or if they like a, a show or a movie that I don't like. It's fine. It does affect me. I don't care. Good for them. I'm glad it gives them joy. I'm glad that they they appreciate it. You know, it's just like I do, I don't understand the, the hate. You know, it's the wrong franchise. But it's like Yoda, don't give in to hate. You know, it's like or Obi Wan, don't give in to hate. I, I just I don't get it. And I you know that's what's so fun with this episode. It's a bunch of people who love Star Trek, and I jokingly refer to it as three of the biggest Star Trek superfans you know, Kevin Feige and Steve Aspel and, and Terry Mattel talking Star Trek for two and a half hours. And we weren't all coming from the same place, but there was a lot of common ground be mind. And that's the fun of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think things have just become more polarized. But that started back then, you know, the, you guys mentioned the framing of the odd ones and the even ones became this thing. And I'm always, you know, Star Trek fans themselves now talk about that as if that's just a truism that the even ones are the good ones and the odd ones are the bad ones. It's far more nuanced than that.
2: Totally. I think that's something that Kevin or or Terry mentioned in the podcast that people so want to stick to that theory that they are willing to dismiss things that are good about five or about three, you know, because they want to just be able to say, yes, the odd ones are terrible and the even ones. And it's become the conventional wisdom. And of course, that's not true because, you know, one is brilliant in its own way you know two is great three has some really good stuff about it you know four is fun but flawed five is flawed but fun you know six is you, you know you know it was was rushed into production and, and and had its budget slashed and there's so much to like about it but there there's also a lot that that's that, that wrong i mean generate you know it's so it's it's, it's very hard to you know look, generations i mean nemesis is an even one right it's number 10 how do you how do you keep the e- even odd thing going when nemesis is an even movie <laughs> i mean it's like come on so
0: uh, well that's when I they decided felt- to stop making them they're like well it's just now now it just doesn't work anymore at all and we they ruined said- the
1: formula
2: it's a dopey theory it's a, it really it always has been and i never subscribed to it and uh but I think people take it very seriously, and it's like, like I said, the conventional wisdom, and it's just wrong. Um, oh, I'm gatekeeping now. Oh no.
1: Oh no. <laughs> I mean, Star Trek Five. I especially want to hear you guys talk about because you did the most incredible interview with Lawrence Luckenbill.
2: Oh, that was so much fun. Yeah, that was an that was amazing
1: great. conversation.
2: What a fascinating guy, right? I mean, so such an interesting career, and I, you know, I felt it was funny because. It, it took a while to convince him to do it. It took him a while to schedule it. And then he just didn't want to stop. And then he's like, we got to do another one. And so that's always what you love because not only is the guest happy, but the audience is happy and we're happy because I learned so much in that episode. And I learned stuff about Star Trek five. I didn't know, but of course about, he's had a much more career, a bunch more diverse career than just Star Trek. And um, it was great to talk about, you know, boys in the band and about, uh, you know, a, a lot of the other um, movies and, and TV shows that he did, you know, talked about Bill Freakin, but, you know, and then some of the stories he talked about how, how Leonard wanted to play both the parts and how he felt, you know, resent, he felt Leonard may have resented him because he, um, you know, he was doing the role that Leonard wanted. And it's like, I'd never heard that. And I've heard a lot, you know, I mean, there's not much I don't know about Star Trek. And so it was really fascinating to coin a phrase. <laughs> he was great.
1: Yeah, I, I really love that one. And I'm just wondering if you have other sort of favorite big guests like that that you've had over time on the experts
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, obviously Bob Sound talking about Star Trek II is always really interesting. I mean, I love talking to the late Bob Butler. That was fantastic, talking about filming the cage. Joe D'Augusta, who did the casting of the original series, he was fantastic. Um, uh, you know, I'm trying to think, obviously – you know, I, I think less about the next gen people, because of course I've been interviewing people, you know, associated with next generation, you know, since the show went on the air, you know, that was when I first started writing about it for Cinefantastic and my college newspaper. So I, you know, it, that resonates less for me because it's more contemporaneous, uh, although it was 30 something years ago, so I don't know how contemporaneous it was, but, um, but, uh, yeah, there have been some really remarkable people. I'm, I'm forgetting a ton, I'm sure, that we've had on the show over the 300. But we always try to find – you know, I joke it's Trek-ication, Trek trek archeology span You know, one of my favorites, it was – we found that we tracked down the guy who did the Star Trek photo novels in the 70s, this guy uh, George Pappas and uh, – Laszlo Pappas, Las- Laszlo Pappas. And we got to talk about where they came up with the idea, how they got the license, I mean that was great. You know, Rafe Needleman, who wrote the original Star Trek trivia book in '79, we found out you know he was a 13 year old kid when he wrote it for pocketbooks. So I, <laughs> I one of the reasons I stuck with the show, even though I threatened to 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 quit, but not quit, but be done with it. For me, was just that we keep finding these people and having these great conversations. And I, I said, as long as it's fun, I'm going to stick with the show. And like this 300th episode we just did, it was super fun. I mean, we after two and a half hours. We're, like, barely scratching the surface, and I could tell we all could continue. You know, I, I joked I could do this all day, but, um, you know, I, I felt like we all had work to do and get back to, and everyone had been very jazzed with their time, and we, we stopped, but we could have gone another two hours talking about Star Trek Three. so that that's great.
0: What I appreciate is that even though Lawrence Lickenbill was an actor, I think your best episodes are the ones where it's a behind-the-scenes person and... Even these more obscure ones, you know, because you guys do the the deep dives with some of these people that I've never even heard of, and so I hope you keep on doing it because you keep on unearthing these people. You guys have big plans for the year. I mean, you're you're going on tour this year again, right? Yeah,
2: I mean, we're doing we're doing a big convention tour again. So, I mean, we're going to be in Richmond, March 14th to 16th, and while I'm there, I'm doing a Q and A with Shatner for his new documentary. You know, my name is Bill on March 14th. Um, which is great. You know, I always enjoy seeing Bill and obviously to talk to him about this documentary that's coming out about his life. Um, although I understand that Free Enterprise isn't in it, which was frustrating, but they did name the movie after a line from Free Enterprise. So that's cool. But uh, <laughs> I, it's always great to sit down with him. He has such great stories. He's such a great rock so tour. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to that. And then I think we're in Oklahoma City in, in May and I'm, I'm doing, um, I'm finally doing... Um, and uh, Ticonderoga, I'm going up uh, as a guest for Triconderoga in May, which is uh, with, uh, I think, Brent and Jonathan Frakes and um, Clint Howard. So that's going to be really fun because I haven't been on those sets before. So And I James Cauley has very kindly invited me multiple times, and it just never worked out. The stars didn't align, but it looks like the stars have finally aligned. I'm going to be able to go up there. I'm really excited about that. And um, and then, of course, I think we'll be in San Jose another galaxy con and um, we'll be at San Diego comic con often. And then we're, we're WonderCon con and Anaheim. So uh, we got a, yeah, we got a bunch of appearances and a bunch of stuff. And, you know, like Michael Corleone, I keep trying to get out, but they pulled me back in. We'll see you
1: in Vegas too, right?
2: I don't know right now. We don't have plans to go to Vegas because we're oh. doing a lot of shows this year. And so we kind of decided also, I, you know, creation did a great job. It was a great show last year but we still have sort of the Rio was such an awful experience that we still have a bad taste in our mouth about that. So I, 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 as of now, you know, we talked to Ashley, Darren and I had talked about it and we all agreed that since we're doing so many shows and the documentary, and we actually have to work for a living now that the strike is over that we weren't going to do Vegas, but that could change, but I don't think it will.
1: You can't be swayed by the renovations. The, the rio <laughs> no i
2: mean if we went we would stay somewhere else there's no way we'd ever stay at the rio again
0: you mentioned the documentary um i you're referring to to boldly go which is your travel star trek locations documentary we covered that when you guys launched your very successful uh, crowdfunding campaign but we haven't heard much about it since i'm sure things are happening so can you bring us up to date
2: yeah so basically um it's a documentary about the locations of Star Trek that'll tie in with the 60th anniversary of Star Trek and finding a way into the subject that other people haven't done. You know, how do you create the future, uh, you know, the 23rd, 24th, 25th century in the 21st century. So um, and you know, interviewing a ton of people and going to these locations and it'll be the Trexperts and Terry Farrell and then a whole bunch of special guests. So, you know, we're in pre-production now. There's a lot of moving parts uh, in terms of scheduling and, location licenses and interviews and stuff. So um, basically, and, and uh, so we're doing that now we're at make the com. We're, we're raising uh, the rest of the budget. You know, obviously um, fans have been uh, generous. There are a lot of really great backer rewards, but we still have to raise enough to actually shoot the thing and post it, but we're, we're getting there and, and people have been very generous and excited and, 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 uh, um, you know, I think it's going to be really cool because I think you know everybody knows about Vasquez rocks, but I don't think they know about a lot of the other great locations. And I think we're also going to, you know, sort of talk about the 60th anniversary and the history and, you know, the production side of things. And it's become a bit of a monster. So, you know, and now with the 60th anniversary coming up with the filming of the cage, it's a really great, you know, time for us to, um, you know, be doing this documentary and, you know, it's, it's, Again, very time-consuming and juggling it with a lot of other things, but I'm really excited about it because um, we're just getting a lot of great cooperation from people who want to be a part of it, and I think a lot of stories people haven't heard before, so it's going to be a really great documentary to boldly go. If people want to support it, they can go to make the makethetrek.com, and there's some great perks and things like that. So
1: Can you talk about one of the maybe lesser-known locations that you're going to be covering?
2: Well, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, we're going to look at where they filmed the original cage on the 40. We did an episode on 40 Acres, um, which is in Culver City, where they filmed the two Trek pilots and a lot of backlot stuff for the um, the episodes. And that there's, there's a fascinating history to 40 Acres, which we touched on in an episode of the podcast. But, you know, obviously we'll be going to the Sepulveda Reclamation area. But we want to go downtown. We're going to Mark Twain. We want to you know, go where they shot the, the Titan uh, Titan missile uh, for um, First Contact, a um, bunch of locations from Picard Season 3, um, but uh, mostly TOS, TNG, and a little Voyager in Deep Space Nine, like the El Mirage dry lake bed, because, you know, I think we can only go so many, so many places in a, in, in a documentary, but um, I think it's really miraculous. I mean, just today, it was funny. I, I was looking at one of these sites about locations and there's a street corner in L.A., you know, where there's like a McDonald's and a Vons and all this stuff. And it shows a picture from the Grapes of Wrath from 1938. And it's just this deserted road that's supposed to look like the Dust Bowl. And it's just like it's amazing how this world, you know, this, this city in particular has changed over the years. And I think um, one of my favorite documentaries um, of, of the last 10 years was a documentary called Los Angeles Plays Itself. And it was all about um, locations in Los Angeles that were featured in different movies. And I love it. It's like a freaking five-hour documentary. And in a way, that was kind of my inspiration for the Star Trek documentary. Um, And we're just so excited because, you know, everyone we've talked to is excited to be a part of it. It will be great having Terry Farrell with us because she's so much fun and funny. Like, that's the thing. We need somebody who not only knew Star Trek but also, you know, could – be quick and witty and, and she's all that. So, you know, it was so great to get her, you know, her on board as one of our you know, partners in crime, so to speak, as we can't around the globe to all these locations.
0: Do I have the sort of like, you guys are all going to get into like a Winnebago and drive around and there's going to be kind of a curb your enthusiasm.
2: That's part of it. That's part of it. We're, we're going to visit the locations, but we're also going to do a, bu- a lot of interviews, people talking about locations, um, you know, uh, archival footage, all kinds of stuff. So, but a big part of it the the the, the, th- the wraparounds, the things that'll hold the spine and the armature of it all, is us traveling around, going to all these locations and talking about the history, and you know, then intercutting it with interviews from location managers and actors and writers and producers, and it's 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 it's, 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 it's turned out to be a much bigger undertaking. Than when we first came up with the idea, but that just is going to make it that much more dynamic and uh, unforgettable.
1: Well, especially having the location managers in there because they're the ones who know the real scoop.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. again, it's an example of what you said, Anthony people, you know, the people that no one ever talks to. I mean, and that's the, you know, something I've really prided myself on. Even going back to like CineFantastic, it's like I would always interview the people. They say, what, you want to interview this person? Like nobody ever asked to talk to them. They only want to talk to the actors. I'm like, yeah, no, I'll talk to the actors. That's fine. But no, I want to talk to the DP or I want to talk to, you know, the costume designer or the production designer or, you know, even much deeper than that, you know, because I felt like talk to anybody. And when I would go to the sets of Next Gen or Deep Space Nine, back when I was doing those monster coverage um, you know, I would literally talk to everybody. I, I you know, I I sidle up to the extras and ask them questions. I would, you know, uh, craft services, I would talk to them. I would talk to anyone, you know, it's that V'ger, know all that is knowable, learn all that is learnable. And then, you know, I try and get it into some kind of coherent form.
1: We still fight that battle sometimes because we love the actors, but they just want to give us the actors. And we're constantly trying to say, like, how about writers? How about directors?
0: The studio thinks people only want to hear from the actors, but as you said in the pod today, the actors were there for four days, whereas the associate producer was there every day.
2: Anyway, I think we were talking about Ralph Winter, and, like, yeah, he was there in pre, and he was there throughout, and then he was there in post, whereas an actor like Nichelle might have worked four or five days on Star Trek Three. So who's going to have better stories, right? Not to diminish her involvement or any of the cast, but, you know, really... Um, there's so many people. It's so interesting to see how, I mean, this is this is more inside baseball. But, you know, back in the day when I was covering Star Trek, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, it was so different back then. I mean, I literally, the publicist would basically say, you know, everybody, I got to go back to the office. Just don't do anything stupid and leave me on set. And I'd be there for three days talking to whoever I wanted. And, and, and it's nothing like that anymore. I could never be a journalist today. I could never do what I did because the publicists are so controlling they want to be on the call they want to be in the room when people are doing interviews they want to control all the information you know i could never do that and it's funny because sometimes on the podcast people say something and they'll be pushed back and i'm like i literally don't care like i publicist calls i don't care because i i don't i don't need to care because none of us are journalists we do the podcast you know we're not we do the podcast for fun i mean our you know we all are, you know, industry people. We, you know, we may, uh, Ashley's a screenwriter, I'm a producer and a writer. Darren's a concept. Of, it's like, so we, it's such a great luxury to not give a shit because yeah. we can talk to anybody. We can reach out to anybody and we can say anything because we don't care. Because nobody can tell us anything. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, I mean, I can could, I, I could tell you stories. I'm not going to, but it's just, um, it, it, it's very liberating. You know, because back in the day when I was a journalist, you you had to worry about like, well, even then I pretty much didn't care. It was (laughs) like, I remember the head of Fox called me up to yell about something, Star Wars. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. He says, you're never going to write about any of our movies again. I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. I said, you'll be fired in two weeks. And I'm sure. And of course it never happened. So, but that was, uh, you know, anyway, but that's why I, I just love you know, mining this rich world is, it's, you know, part of it is giving Star Trek the love and respect that it deserves because so many people are dismissive of it. And if I think there's one great thing we've done with the podcast is to really treat it. It's the same thing I did in my books in the 50 year mission. It's, it's to treat it with respect and as an important part of pop culture and not some weird thing that, you know, just culty that, you know, some weird people like it's, 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 it's so much more than that. And, uh, you know, I think that is one of the big things that we've done is, is shine a light on Star Trek, in a in a way that's, you know, that it warrants because it really is so um, important and uh, such a, an important part of pop culture and often gets, you know, you see on the local news, we
1: just beeped into
2: the latest Star Trek conventions to talk to the Trekkie fans. And, you know, it's like, Oh, I hate all that. I hate <laughs> all that. You know,
1: it's interesting because with Fifty Year Mission, there are certain uh, Star Trek journalists that I see that when they don't have news, they just grab Fifty Year Mission, find a cool story in there, and create a headline and an article. And then I oh look at it and I'm God. like, it's people, from your book.
2: People keep telling me that, and I've seen it myself. These clickbait sites all the time, and I'm like, I'll read a headline, and say, "Wow, that's just like something," and I read it, said, "It's told Mark Alman and Gross yeah. in the Fifty Year Mission." <laughs> I said, if. If, if, if I got a, a dollar for every time somebody ripped off my book, I said I'd be a multimillionaire. It's unbelievable. All the time, not a week goes by where like three or four or five of these sites don't like rip off the 50-year mission. And at least, they, at least they credit it. But it's kind of like I can't believe how often. I mean, that book's six years old now. And it's like not a week goes by without people telling stories from that. And and repeating
1: stories that we wrote. It's your fault for writing such interesting stuff. Well, maybe it's time to talk about
2: the 60th, 60, you know, 60 year mission. you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, no, please make it stop. Uh, I said, but, you know, this would bookend the 50 year mission really well. And I'm like, "Ah, God, but, you know, but
1: never say never. Yeah. What would be your hesitation about doing another deep dive track book?
2: Well, there was a time where I felt that we'd said everything there is to say, but, you know, obviously now there's probably more to say. And plus, after five or six years of doing the podcast, I have so many more stories. Um, uh, so it, 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 I, I think there's a great book, but also the problem is, you know, with lead time and stuff, the 60th is going to be here in 2026. And that's two years away it's not a lot of time to write a book of the magnitude of what we do and then have it published because, um, but it's still doable. So it's like, I would have to say yes. And we'd have to have the publisher commit, you know, in the next couple of months, if we were actually going to go ahead with that. So we'll see. I mean, I wouldn't say it's, there was a time where I said, there's no way Well, we talked about doing 50 year mission volume three. And I said, no way the 60 year mission where maybe we would start at the beginning again, but with a, a whole new take I might, I, I might be, maybe, I don't know.
0: <laughs> I mean, we, a In a way we're already in the 60th. I saw a thing where, um, it's, this was actually in January, the first mention of star Trek in the Hollywood trades was in January of 1964. They didn't use the word star Trek. It was, uh, you know about Gene Roddenberry shopping this idea to I forget which studio he's with at the time. I think it was it wasn't. Oh
2: yeah, he was, he was the, MGM. He was doing a lieutenant,
0: right? And he was pitching them in a, a sci-fi show, and it was just this little mention in Variety, and that was the beginning of Star Trek, essentially, January 1964. And then eventually he shopped it to Desi Lou by March, I think. So we're we're kind of in the sixtieth right now.
2: Right. The 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 meter is running. This is <laughs> true. And then because you got the cage shooting at the end of the year, then you have you know, where no man's gone before shooting the next year, and then you have this you know, it premiering in September of uh, nineteen sixty six. So yeah, I mean we kinda are, which is crazy.
0: It's interesting because you have all these great guests, you know, in this recent one with Feige. as you know, Hollywood is you know, lousy with closet Star Trek fans, real Star Trek fans in the business. So I'm sure you're keeping up with the news, but let's say a year from now, someone else owns Paramount. Which is like, which is very likely. Which is very likely. <laughs> um, and, you know, But let's say it's like you know, for whatever reason or someone like that. And um, they decide to start over whatever, you know, blue sky it. Um, who would you pick? And you could put yourself on the list to be, the Kevin Feige of Star Trek. And do you think Star Trek needs someone like that, a single person who's in charge of books, movies, TV, everything, to look at as a franchise as a whole?
2: Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think there, there are a couple of people who can do it, you know, because first and foremost, it has to be somebody who loves Star Trek and not somebody who condescends or or thinks that it needs to be something that it's not, um, you know, Ron Moore would be a great candidate, obviously, but you know he his deal is at Disney, and he has a lot of other stuff going on. I don't know if he would even want to do it anymore. You know, there was a time where he was he was would have and wanted to, and almost had the franchise, almost was given the franchise. There are plenty of well, not plenty. There are a few people um, that are capable of doing it who have the love for Star Trek, the creativity, the understanding of the franchise. And the ability to execute on a creative level. Um, But they're not, you know, less than you would think. Because everybody and their brother, you know, thinks they can do Star Trek. But there are very few people who actually can do it.
1: Well, if you were looking at it, just speculatively, like let's say the movies, trying to figure out what to do with the movies. What would, like, Mm. would you look at it as start something new, keep doing what they've got, a reboot? Like what, what would you like to see? Well, I mean,
2: look, that's a question, you know, that usually this is going to sound, uh, I would say that's a question usually like a paid answer, <laughs> you know,
1: oh, Fair, <laughs>
2: but um, I, I will say this, I, I think this, what's happening now with this reboot of the, you know, start the Romulan war, going back and, and, and doing something that's non-canon, that's attempting to sort of, Reboot Star Trek for a younger audience and make it big and epic and attract a a broader audience. I think is a mistake. That I that that I will say. Um, I think that the, I, I I think it's in. It's crazy that they can't make a Star Trek movie for less than they're spending. Um, that they have been stymied for all these years. Uh, you know, um, in terms of the fact that there hasn't been a Star Trek movie, whatever it may be since Star Trek Beyond, is absurd. Um, And uh, it's much like, you know, what's happening with the Bond franchise where they're, you know, just paralyzed by fear of making... I mean, Star Trek... Let's go back to Star Trek Three for a second. Every two years, there was a movie like Clockwork. And you could forgive the flaws because you knew in two more years, there'd be another one and maybe it would be better. You know, it was the same thing. I say this about Bond all the time. In the beginning, Bond movies came out every year. Then they came out every two years, then they came out three years. Now it's like seven, eight years. It's like that's a whole generation. You know, people don't even care anymore because they you lose all the fans. You all you, you know, uh, and 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 I feel that with Star Trek, it's the same thing. They, they have to, they have to figure. They have to figure this out. And the future is, um, you know, and there are a lot of reasons, and I'm not going to get into all the business reasons why they've been paralyzed and unable to do anything, Um, but something has to change. And I think in a way, uh, a a change at Paramount could, could help. Although I don't know if Star Trek's going to be the first thing that anyone's going to focus on in terms of whoever the new owners might be uh, as to, you know, this is, this is the priority for this new studio.
0: But it's, it's one of the IPs that, has value yes and they haven't mined at least on paramount picture side that value in quite a while which almost gets you into that problem of every year they don't make money off it is another year they want to make even more money off it um ironically the the frustration is i've always said it's never you'll never make a billion dollars i don't know if you agree with this but a star trek movie is never going to gross a billion dollars globally you know never it's um, never
2: going to happen but there's I, no I, way to change that.
0: But I think you can make half a billion. And if you spend 150, then you make a profit.
2: And that's the problem with Star Trek. They've overspent consistently because the above the line is so high, uh, specifically Bad Robot. And as a result, um, they're not able to turn these things out uh, for a price where it, it, Star Trek makes sense as a business. And if they you learn anything from the hard Bennett era, I mean, you look at what they were making Star Trek movies for and Star Trek three for all it seems and all its cheapness, you know, it, 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 people went and saw it and it made money. And, you know, Star Trek four, you know, was a little bit more, you know, um, and it was a a huge success at the time. Um, And it attracted a non-Star Trek audience. Um, But this idea that we're just going to make, spend all this money, and find this audience that doesn't exist for Star Trek is just not a viable way forward.
0: But there is a middle ground. I mean, cuz the other way to go is niche only. You 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 make 80 million dollar almost indie Star Trek movies. In a way cuz they did move it, I mean, you know this obviously, but they moved it to the TV guys. The budgets were not big 80s budgets. And so I you know, th- there is a version of movies like that now um and i i wouldn't go in that direction either entirely although holly was kind of going in that direction you know and i still would have liked to have seen when he gone i i still want them to try to get general audiences not just well, got, of
2: course no you you can't make money if it's just niche you have to you have to broaden the audience but you have to do it in a smart way and and again the past is prologue those who forget the past are condemned to relive it. why did star trek 2 why was that produced by the TV division? Why was that so cheap? Because Star Trek The Motion Picture made a ton of money, but it didn't make enough because of the budget. And it's the same thing that's happening now. So it's like, look, you're not going to make a movie for $13 million like Star Trek II, but you need to say, okay, these movies aren't profitable. We have to make them for less and build back and build a new audience. You know, Captain Kirk r- riding a motorcycle and, you know, the Beastie Boys aren't going to cut it.
1: I agree with that. <laughs> I, i'm not a, i mean
0: maybe i sometime you'll have to have me on the i i will come on your podcast and i will i'll defend every single one of the jj movies even into your you podcast <laughs> uh, but, you know, speaking of other stuff i don't know Was that was that a transition i'm That's just gonna make segue, it
1: Johnny. i'm gonna
0: pretend it's a transition <laughs> you're working with jonathan Frakes.
2: i am who I love, who's the best, and he always has been the best and i've I've been lucky John is just such a great guy. I mean, I know him going back to his days of wearing his little pink bathrobe on the you know set of season one of of Star Trek the next gen, <laughs> and then you know we we've been lucky enough to work together a couple of times on librarians and uh you know now we're, we're we got a, a new project coming up, so uh it's just uh one of my one of my favorite people and just immensely talented so i'm 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 excited about that.
0: Well, let's let's back up. We probably haven't mentioned what are you doing with Jonathan Franks. Actually, we yeah, should... we're,
2: Well, we're doing a new TV series called Deathlands. It's um, based on a, a remarkably successful series of books, 144 books and counting, I believe. And uh, he is d- directing the uh, the premiere, and he'll probably be back later in the season to do a couple other episodes. And uh, it's 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 going to be terrific. So we're very very excited about that, and excited to be working with him again because. I just find his energy on set and his eye and his uh, his passion, um, you know, second to none.
1: Yeah, I recently called him during a panel. I was moderating The King of Star Trek, which he seemed to enjoy. But he is. Yeah, it was funny.
2: We did a panel with him recently. And uh, he is. I call him the mayor. The mayor of Star Trek because <laughs> he's friendly with everybody across all the series. He knows everybody. He genuinely, what you see is what you get. He genuinely loves it. He's so appreciative for the career that he has. And, um, you know, he comes on stage and starts singing Volare and
0: no, um, death when, where, how will we see this show?
2: You know, we start shooting, uh, in late summer and, um, and then, uh, it'll be in next year, 2025, that probably the premiere. I'm just, I'm really excited about it. I think people are going to love it. And, uh, You know, even though it's a a post-apocalyptic series, I think what is at its heart is it's a show about hope. And I think in the world that we live in right now, that's something that's in short supply, optimism. And maybe that's something that we take from Star Trek. You know, that Star Trek was a show about optimism and a hope for the future and that we aspire to be better than we are. And then no matter how bad things get, someday things will get better. I know that's something that I've always responded to in, in, in Star Trek. And maybe some of the Star Treks that I'm less sanguine on, maybe that isn't as big a part of them, and uh I just I think that that has always been my big takeaway from the Trek franchise
1: I feel exactly the same way I mean I started watching original series when I was a kid and w- couldn't believe that that was the philosophy of a TV show that I was watching like that's what hooked me more than all the other like all the other stuff was fin like I liked phasers and characters and this and that, but that optimism was. Unheard of to me that the future. It's could so happen. funny
2: you say that because I'm always trying to figure out why I love the show so much. Like I'm trying to figure out why I'm obsessed with the show. Like I don't get it, and my kids will ask me. It's like I don't get it. I and I, you know, and I think you know, it's that old thing. They say, "Oh, it was a family," and da, 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 da. That's all fine. It's true, but I, I just I've never been able to figure out why I love Star Trek as much as I do. And you know, uh, a lot of the people that I. I know it's very, it's it's so weird because there are other shows that I love, maybe shows I like more that I think are better, and yet I don't have the obsession with them that I have with Star Trek and the, the and the knowledge and the desire to keep knowing more about it, and and it's just uh, it's a remarkable phenomenon. Star Trek is a remarkable phenomenon. I
0: I think it's actually quite simple. I think. Every single one of the shows, some more successfully than others, has created compelling characters that people can identify with. And whether that's Spock or Kirk or McCoy or Data or Tuvok, there's always someone you can identify with, and they're always in these aspirational situations. And I think people just want to be there and be part of it. And it makes you feel better about the world, just being part of it. And That's why I think it has inspired so many people for so many years.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's why Free Enterprise was sort of our therapy session, figuring that out. You know, it's like.
1: (laughs) I also think something Star Trek did so early on, like that they started creating books about how the show was made. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, that was I mean, I was devouring those, you know, making of Star Trek and World of Star Trek and all of those, because that peek into how things could be made and how ideas were come up with. And it just was an insight into making TV that had been unavailable as well.
2: Well, that's another great point you make, Laurie, because it's true that at least for me, so many of the people I know that love Star Trek, it's a lot are in the business, you know, and, and Star Trek was sort of that keystone for them. You know, I mean, it's why like a 50 year mission is a whole run of people, how the making of Star Trek, that classic book by Stephen Whitfield and, um, and, and Dean uh, inspired people. We, you know, even as kids, it's like, this is a business. Yeah, You could be a writer or a director, or you could design props. And we all learn that from like reading the making of Star this is before there was like behind the scenes or entertainment tonight or anything. It was reading that in David Gerald's book, The Making of the Trouble with Tribbles. And uh, so many of us learned from that experience, um, you know, about the business. And then later would, would go on and, and, and be. And a lot of my friends who have ended up either writing or working on Star Trek. Um, so it is really remarkable in that way. It is, it is part of that as well. So that's a good point.
0: I want to get back to talking about the future of Star Trek for a second. I know you're a huge supporter, as I am, of Terry and season three of Picard. What do you think of this idea of a spinoff? Because there's one argument to say season three was kind of a one-off, kind of a cheat. You had the whole next-gen cast. How could you go wrong? It was lightning in a bottle. Can never be really done in another show or it set up something entirely new and showed how you can mix nostalgia with doing a different take you know so what what is your view on a spinoff and legacy even though both of us know the current status of it as it were
2: look i i think it's absolutely crazy not to do star trek legacy you have a a showrunner who is passionate about star trek who gets it who's already executed at a very high level creatively. Um, he, he teed it up perfectly for his spinoff. Um, he knows how to write for those characters. He is what ultimately be number one on the call sheet, Jerry Ryan, who loves him. Uh, he cast this wonderful role of Ed Spielers as uh, Picard's son, who's terrific. No Merritt Buttrick mistake there. Okay. Um, so I, I just, it's unfathomable to me that if you're going to do another Star Trek, you know, which was clearly embraced and 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 got the best reviews anything's gotten in this new era of Star Trek um, that uh, you wouldn't uh, wouldn't pursue doing it it's just uh, like I said un, unfathomable to me you know and, and it's a chance to use any of these legacy characters in an interesting way you have like all these new characters but you can have anyone drop in at any point um, for, for an episode or two, it's like the way they use Ro Laren and imposter. What a terrific use of that character. What an interesting exploration and, 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 and a conflict between the two of them, it, you know, really, I think Terry said this in interviews that the Picard season three era kind of is the present day of Star Trek. Right. And, um, why not explore the present day? Look, I'm a big believer in Star Trek. Needs to go forward. It needs to go boldly. Right? It needs to new characters, new ships, new worlds. Um, because otherwise, then you're you're basically just uh, you know playing the the best of. It's the greatest hits album. But what Terry did was he 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 gave you the greatest hits, but so much more. And I think a legacy series would go beyond that. You know, you're not, not going to have those moments like the wonderfulness of seeing the enterprise uh, D again, you know, which is, which is, oh my God, it's the stairway to heaven. It's like, Oh, the best of Zeppelin, you know, it's great and executed brilliantly, but you're not going to have that. legacy. So legacy hopefully will be more, anth- more of an anthology. Um, y- you know, it'll tell more interesting stories with, what are at its heart is let's face it. Star Trek, all that matters are the characters you know, because why do we watch the worst episodes of TOS? Because we love the characters. Why do we watch the worst episodes of TNG? Because we love the characters. Legacy has teed up a show with some of the best and most interesting and compelling uh, characters. And you can draw from all these different shows and it's just crazy not to do something with it. And this, this reluctance to do it. And, um, you know, again, uh, I don't want to be negative about anything else or anyone else, but um, it just seems like such a no-brainer.
1: Agree.
0: Three years ago, it almost certainly would have been greenlit by now, just because Paramount was spending money like a drunken sailor, but now they, obviously, they don't have any money left, and what money they have is being spent elsewhere.
2: Well, and look, that's the reality, but the thing is, they they are putting another Star Trek series into production, uh, which is not Legacy, um, and they are... Um, You know, they're spending the money, understandably, on the Taylor Sheridan universe, which is, uh, you know, clearly where their heart is, because that's bringing in more viewers for them, at least, you know, anecdotally or algorithmically. Uh, That is where they're spending their money on Taylor Sheridan. Um, And, you know, we don't know what the future of Paramount Plus is going to be. Are they going to merge with Peacock? We don't know. So I do think there is, you know, uh, they are stymied in terms of. You know, I don't think you're going to see any new Star Trek shows get greenlit anytime soon, but it just seems as though, you know, if someone were going to do a new new Star Trek, that there it sits. It's just waiting to be mined. And, uh, you know, a lot of these actors and they're not getting any younger and, uh, you know, they may also get other work and not be available because nobody's under option. So, uh, you know, I just love to see it happen, but – you know, like you, I'm very circumspect and dubious that it will. But uh, I certainly would love it. I mean, it was about a year ago that the show premiered, and I remember seeing it for the first time and and and, and screening it for the first time. And uh, it was the first time in a very very long time that I binged. You know, I would watch four or five episodes in a night, as many as I had. Uh, you know, I couldn't stop watching. I was so uh, captivated because it captured. Uh, everything, you know, so much of what I loved about Star Trek in the past and the flavor of next generation and uh, showcase those characters so well, which look, obviously I'm repeating myself because I <laughs> did that review. I believe for you uh, when, when it first premiered and, 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 you know, look, people can find fault with it. Of course you can find fault with anything. Nothing's perfect. And, uh, but uh, it, 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 it succeeds uh, much more than it fails.
1: I think the hardest thing was not binging it because we do weekly reviews, so we don't watch ahead. But we had them all, or mm. most of them. And it was like the hardest thing ever to watch one and not automatically put on the next one. And then we'd finish the podcast and I'd just go running over to my TV.
2: Yeah, the hardest thing for me was that watching and not having anybody I could talk to about it. Yeah. Because, you know, people <laughs> hadn't seen it yet. I think, I think at some point Ashley had them too. And then, you know, him and I would just like be like giddy, like, oh, I
1: can't believe it. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I haven't given up on Legacy. I it, it, I, I think I'm actually more, more optimistic than Terry is on it at this point. I think that what they can do, which would work with their budget, is next year they'll have some money left over to do another TV movie type thing like they're doing with the Michelle Yeoh thing. And uh, they could do Backdoor Pilot. They have a backdoor pilot. It's called Star Trek Picard season three. Well, but you, but you know, that costs over a hundred million dollars, you know, so. But it's done. They don't need
2: to shoot a TV movie as a backdoor pilot for Star Trek legacy. And I plus, I look, I think again, this whole idea of them having money, don't be so sure. You know, uh, it's, it's like, and look, they just greenlit another NCIS, uh, you know, Michael Weatherly. And and, and like that is going to have more viewers than any Star Trek show would. I don't hold out a lot of hope, and I don't think this is where they're going to allocate their limited resources. I just think you got to be realistic
0: about it. No, we've been very clear on this podcast that yeah. they had five concurrent shows two years ago, and those days are over.
1: Yeah, um, it's going to happen again.
0: But they will th- – whatever they are doing at Paramount, if, they, if it's a streaming service, if they're licensing, I can't imagine a world where they're not creating a, a Star Trek show, at least one or two of them. You know, even three years from now it's just it's going to be in a different format or whatever
2: one one would hope and it's also going to depend you know because Star Trek didn't particularly perform that well uh you know when they were licensing you know those early seasons internationally of discovery and and Picard um so you know is someone going to come in where they produce it for someone other than paramount press that's a possibility, but it's going to have to be somebody who's willing to spend the money and, and is star trek have that value to them we don't know i'd be curious to know how you know prodigy's doing obviously it's, it's a little different it's animation it skews younger theoretically so i you know but um uh is someone gonna you know come in and want to license it because whereas in the past they would only do it for paramount plus it's not crazy to think that they would produce a star trek series for someone else but it, it's gonna you know but is that going to be an option? We just don't know. I mean, it really depends on what happens with Paramount. I mean, who, anything can happen at this point.
0: I mean, but there is levels of scale. Look at what Amazon is spending on that Lord of the Rings show and Am- Apple is spending on the Foundation show that, you know, the, it isn't the, you know, it's expensive, but there's there's other shows that are significantly well, more expensive. The, the but not like that,
2: Paramount's spending more than they should on these Star Trek shows too. same thing as the movies. They're spending more than they should, and if you could get the budget down, there's a, there's a chance to, to 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 do more and to have it be more more successful. Um, but they're you know they're overspending because you know again very hefty above the line and, and 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 the idea that it has to have these feature film quote unquote feature film production values as opposed to which Star Trek has never had. But or, that's a whole other story.
0: <laughs> I mean, you and I can talk about this forever. I'm sure. Um, but you've got better things to do. Before we lose you, is there any other things that we haven't talked about? Books, yes. Stuff
2: How that- is Little Riker? What's going on with Little Riker, Lori? <laughs> is he okay?
1: He is. He's still having adventures. He's traveling. He's going on a cruise to France later this year, which is
2: pretty Nice.
1: But uh, he's been busy and he's also going to see the William Shatner documentary soon. So we'll see how that goes. Excellent!
2: I, I, I can't wait to see it. I, I have a link, but I haven't watched it. I kind of want to watch it for the first time in the theater, although I need to watch it before I do the Q&A with Bill. But um, uh, I, I will say that uh, one of my favorite Star Trek experiences, I was a guest at a Star Trek convention in Paris. And that was just, just such a great time. And uh, in fact, I had such a good time that I remember I recommended Michael Pillar to the people and, and Michael ended up going the next year uh, and he had a great time. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was my I wouldn't recommend your first time in Paris going for a Star Trek convention, but uh, it was really it was really great. Although I do remember what they said, oh, the last night, the big party the last night, spectacular, you're going to love it. It's going to be great. You're going to be really excited. I said, oh, really? Where is it? I thought, like, is it going to be at the Louvre? Is it going to be at some really great – They said Planet Hollywood. I'm like, oh, "Oh, God. It's like I didn't come halfway around the world to go to Planet Hollywood. Lame. Yeah, it was so lame.
1: It reminds me of going to a Chili's when I was in Malaysia.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. It's like, oh, we're doing it at Applebee's. Like, okay, whatever. But you guys are doing the Lord's work with the truck movie. I mean – You know, you, how many years
0: has this been? Like 25 years you've been doing this. No, it's great. No, no, no. What, 20 years? Since since the first. Oh, before, Yeah. So it was launched. I mean, when you were talking about how you, I mean, I came to this to say someone should treat Star Trek like the New York Times treats news or. Right. Forget the BS and forget the rumors and treat it seriously and factually. And uh, so, and we've been doing that ever since. Yeah. And you got this great team of people.
1: Yeah, I joined up around Star Trek Beyond just before that.
0: Ah,
2: yeah. Because you wanted to write about Kirk on a motorcycle.
1: No, do you know what it was? <laughs> I was I was working somewhere and whenever they had to do an article on Star Trek, they'd ask me to do it. Ah, And so I kept noticing that every time I went to the best site that had the best research, it was Trek movie over mm. and over and over again. So I reached out and said, do you need anybody else? And then I made all these amazing friends. and Oh,
2: that's great. Yeah, well, you guys always seem so happy. Whenever I run into you, like at Vegas, you have your whole entourage there, the Trek movie crew. And everybody's so happy and excited to be there and on the prowl. And it's great. I mean, I mean it's great. I think you're doing, you know, great work. And, and uh, you know, you take it seriously, but not too seriously. And obviously, you have quite the following. And I'm so glad that you continue to thrive when so many people, you know, have fallen by the wayside with these sites.
0: Yeah, we we did once name you guys the best Star Trek podcast. Uh, this year for for 2023, we did a we did a podcast about our favorite things of the year, and I think it, it, your your podcast came up a bunch of times. And I think I said something to the to the effect of, "You guys are kind of the perennial best Star Trek podcast." In a way, it's almost like the movie Enterprise for Starship Smackdown, where you guys uh- said. It's not allowed to be in the competition anymore because it'll always win. So we didn't put out an article on that, but I just wanted you to know that's how I feel about what you guys are doing.
2: (laughs) Well, that's nice of you to say. I mean, I'm amazed that we're at 300 and I appreciated you guys. You know, the reason I like when people say stuff like that is because it shines a light so that people who maybe haven't heard of it will try it and come to us because um, I just, you know, you always want to keep, growing that audience and particularly if people are going to get something out of it. So it's always nice when somebody says, Oh my God, how much I, and, and of course it was great to have, you know, Kevin Feige, even though I, I knew this, but he said, you know, publicly, what a huge fan he is of the podcast and how he listens to it all the time. And, you know, I, which is really, really nice. And obviously so many people involved with, um, with the franchise, listen to it, you know, or, or, um, uh, and, you know, again, it, it it pushes us to try and do as good a job as we can, find the best guests, you know, you know, give something back and and never just phone it in, you know, to really try and just bring our A game every week whenever we, we do it. And I feel like more often than not, I think we've had one or two stinker of an episodes, but very few. You know, I think we've operated at a very high level. So uh, I appreciate you saying that. It's nice. It's always nice to hear. And like I said, it, it, it hopefully... You know, we're always finding like when we're at these conventions and stuff, we'll have all these people come up and they want stuff signed and posters and how much they love. But then somebody will come and say, Oh, I've never heard of this. And we're like, really? And, <laughs> uh, and it's like, you know, and they say, Oh, I'll listen to it. This is great. Or they say, why should I listen to it? And am like, I don't know. It's up to you. I don't care. I'm not going to sit here and sell it to you. I don't make money off of it. I don't care. Listen to it or don't listen to it.
1: <laughs> we have a lot of conversations about your podcast in our Slack. Like a new one comes out and everybody's chat. Did you listen to it yet? And then everybody's talking about it. So it's always providing us with a with a lot of good stuff to talk. Oh, about. Oh,
2: that's great! And we just launched. Uh, we're in the process of launching a Discord channel which has all the podcasts because to to give that opportunity because you know people will email us or people will you know, put something on Twitter or on Instagram and a lot of people aren't using Twitter anymore. So we, we're started we started a discord channel, which will be a chance for people to come and have discussions. And we're going to start doing, you know, infrequently screening series for uh, and, and uh, you know, make stuff available on the discord channel. So I, and that was completely built and designed by one of our listeners, you know, which is great, you know, so we're, we're, we're a very loyal group of, People who listen to us, and you know, we really appreciate them. I mean, that was one of the reasons I came back. I was absolutely shocked by how many people wrote and were saying, coming up to me and saying, "Don't quit the sh- don't not quit, don't leave the show." And I, I think if, the, if we hadn't had the actor the, the the actor strike and the writer strike, and things had gotten really busy, I probably would have left. But the, thank the God things had slowed down a little, and I just really appreciated the the the, the passion and how. Wonderful people, were. and, and we—you know—we got a lot of stories during the. I'm sure you did too during the pandemic, from people like you know. I had somebody really dear to me who was in the hospital, and you know, I'd be sitting in a car, and the only thing that would keep me smiling was listening to your podcast, or you know, people who went through really tough times, and and you know, like after you hear enough of these, it was like I got to keep doing the podcast because it, clearly it means so much to people. It's like I don't want to walk away you know, and be that guy if, if if we're really having this effect on people. And, uh, you know, sur- I'm surprised sometimes about how many of those kind of emails and letters and things we get from people where it's like really touching them. And it's like really, you know, um, they, they've gone through something really horrible. And the podcast has been like a source of joy for them. See, I'm not really as big an asshole as I sound. I actually do care a little bit about people. I'm not a complete <laughs>
0: misanthrope. Well, that's good to know that you yeah. are not a yeah. You're not a sociopath. <laughs> Excellent. We determined Mark Altman has a heart in there. He, is, he has. The he has his. He he has his emotion chip. Okay, so I think we should say goodbye. Thank you well, guys, so much. Thank Mark. you for
2: having me on the show, and uh, I hope to see some of the people in uh, Richmond. Uh, in mid-March and, and definitely they should tune in anywhere. The podcasts uh, are, are, you know, listening, to glorious Trexperts and they can hear um, our interview uh, talking about Star Trek three with Ken Feige and Terry Metalis, and Steve Asbell. Also, I'm doing a new podcast with my son, the kids stay in the podcast that Ashley and I are doing where Gen Z meets a uh, uh, Gen X to talk movies. And, um, and then, you know, Peter and Lisa are on the Trexperts briefing room where they do, um, talk about individual episodes with notables uh so a lot of a lot of podcasting going on
0: indeed
1: awesome well thank you guys
2: keep on trekking and gloriously of course
1: (laughs) thanks thank you
0: well always great to talk to mark
1: agreed yeah i I just i could honestly i feel like we could have gone hours more because i would just ask i could have just asked him about random picked a movie and said. Talk to me about this movie. But you get that when you listen to their podcast too. So it's all there.
0: They talked about Star Trek 3 for longer than Star Trek 3. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I could talk to him forever about pretty much anything Star Trek. Yep. So let's do our bits of the week. All right. I guess I've got a bit of a theme. I'm going to get political again, kind of. But I thought it was funny that in the New York Times, there was an opinion piece this week called could swifties or trekkies decide the next election it's this analysis about how fandoms are kind of a great gateway to access communities for activism and how certain activist groups are now looking to fandoms there was a lot about younger fans and taylor swift fans and all of that and but it 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 points out that star trek fans have kind of led the way in this effort as well and they point to trek the vote which is something that we talked about here on the podcast in 2020 and 2022 and i think they'll be back in 2024
1: yeah i think so
0: i agree i think fandoms are a great gateway to you know getting people to register to vote and and other ways for political advocacy so that's my pitch of the week
1: i like it All right. Well, mine is definitely not about politics. (laughs) (laughs) So mine is about an article that was in Polygon called The Ten Horniest Episodes of Star Trek Ranked by Cultural Impact. Now, I will say it's weird that there was no mention of Enterprise, (laughs) which is definitely the horniest show, I think, by far. But the writer, Susanna Polo, Beautiful writing. Like, this article is fun just for the phrasing of everything. But she says that she's focused on Star Trek episodes that are purely horny. So not romantic, like maybe there's going to be sex, but like actual... She calls those horny adjacent or horny acknowledging. (laughs) But But this is all about... The, the horniest episode, she includes ones like Justice and Conundrum and Fairhaven and, of course, Sub Rosa. And I think my favorite part of it is her. She does these great one sentence descriptions of the episode. So she talks about Favorite Son, the Voyager episode where Harry Kim is deceived into thinking he's from this other planet and all these women are hot women are surrounding him. And she described it as a whole planet of hot babes have an absurdly complicated plan to sex Harry Kim to death.
0: That's a fair description.
1: Right. Or the naked now, the away team brings back a horny disease. Like it's so. And then, of course, a muck time. And I'm going to swear. So cover your ears if you're sensitive. Spock has to fuck or he'll die. So it's, you know, she goes into the cultural impact of the episode. Also, like, did it affect other tropes and other things? And it's just a very entertaining and well-written article. We'll put up a link.
0: Star Trek is a horny show. Yeah, the franchise has been horny since the beginning. Look, look at some course. of those outfits from the original series.
1: Yeah, well that's right. I mean, justice is in there for its outfits. But um from next <laughs> yeah, I'm generation. talking about the 1960s, but you know. No, yeah. original series was totally horny, absolutely horny.
0: <laughs> yeah. In a weird way, even though there's maybe more romance in the modern shows, they are less horny, I think.
1: Um yes. Well, Lower decks has some horny moments. Oh, that's true. Um, well, I'm thinking live action. Fair enough. Live action, yeah, is definitely a lot less horny. Yeah, I would agree because it's maybe it's harder to be playful with that kind of stuff these days. I don't know because yeah, because you're always worried
0: of, you're worried about of, things appearing sexist and objectifying right. men or women. Right. But
1: I mean, disco did stuff. Was it first season with George O and the Orion's. there was some like she was fooling around with a man and a woman at the same time well
0: anything in the mirror universe is is instantly horny almost right so there's some this
1: was back after they brought her back okay anyway um but i would agree overall i think your assessment is accurate
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i guess what we need i mean maybe we need a follow-up article how you know is is Star Trek horny enough? Is you it know? still
1: horny? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this could be a whole subgenre.
1: But like, it was weird not to see Enterprise in there considering they were like standing there in their underwear putting gel on each other.
0: Yeah. Fair enough.
1: I would have given just the whole series a mention just for that. And there was lots <laughs> of stuff like that.
0: Maybe she never watched the show, which wouldn't surprise me. Right. It was it was basically next gen. It was almost all TOS and next-gen with a little Voyager. Was, there was no Deep Space Nine in there, I don't think. Was there?
1: Yeah, maybe there wasn't because Deep Space Nine had its moments. Anyway, yeah. on that horny note, we will leave you for another week. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Goodbye.